and welcome to our 12th episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We're your hosts, I'm Charlie. And this is Russell. Well, Russell, um, we are going to get some hate mail. Um, We are going to be talking about the M4 Sherman and why it was a great tank. (laughs) Oh, boy. I guess I might have to give him your personal email for that. I don't know. Oh, no, no. Don't do that. (laughs) Um, Lightning is here with us tonight. Um, Russell had been telling me that he uh, tried the laser dot, you know, putting a little laser dot in front of the cat and watch it run over. My cat goes just crazy over it. I said, oh, no, you're not doing it right. So I bring the laser dot over to, you know, lightning and start throwing it in front of her. And she's like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not falling for the red dot trick. It's usually connected to a rifle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's definitely no dummy when it comes to the red dot. Well, before we get started uh, on what's going to be a ton of hate mail, <laughs> we uh, want to give a shout out to our international listeners. Um, we are just growing like crazy. We've got Korea, Vietnam, Australia, uh, Russia, UK, just all over. And we are just so grateful to you guys. But we do have a kind of a request for our American listeners. We're missing a few states that nobody's downloaded in our, in our <laughs> Wyoming, New Mexico, and the East Coast. Yeah, in the northeast, the very northeastern part of the country. So if you're listening, um, feel free to uh, share us on your Facebook page or if you got a relative, uh, you know, or somebody up east. Yeah, tell them to give us a listen. Well, yeah, yeah. Help us get the word out there and they may even like it. Who knows? Oh, gosh, I hope they like it. <laughs> you know, people are still saying, well, uh, the message I got on Facebook, uh, the lady from the UK was wanting us to get a yardstick and lay lightning down and see, you know, really sure how long that cat is. Oh, wow. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that someday. I never even thought about that. But Yeah. I figure if you take the picture and I'm sitting there, you know, rubbing her belly and laying yeah. her flat out. She may be a Guinness Book uh, World Record holder. Uh, people, you really have no idea how long this cat is. This is a very, very long cat. Uh, we are going to jump in on the Sherman. Boy, here it goes. Um, <laughs> like I said, my key point is why the Sherman is the best tank on the Western Front. Tell us a little bit about the M4 beginning for us. Yeah, the M4 Sherman. It was actually named after the famous American Civil War general, William T. Sherman. M4 Sherman is one of the few really iconic fighting vehicles of the Allies during World War II. And one of the most famous tanks in world history. But while this historic status was gained partly thanks to its intrinsic qualities, but also due to the sheer numbers in which they were provided... And that was only surpassed by the Soviet Union's T-34, with a staggering 50,000 total delivered. Now, the T-34 was over 50,000. They made a lot of those. Wow. And we will do an episode on the T-34 oh, yes. and its variants, because I know a lot of people yeah. are like, well, what about the T-34-85? I think we mix all that up. Oh, yeah. It remains by far the most widely used tank on the Allied side during the war. It was derived into countless derivatives and had very long post-war career, which lasted well into the Cold War. It has been largely compared to the T-34, 
and had the occasion to confront some during the Korean War. The M4 is actually still in use today. When we do that episode of the T-34, maybe we can do some research and see the Sherman against the T-34. Uh, there you go. Um, again, uh, I like the T-34. Uh, I've got problems with the T-34, but that's why I'm going for just saying the M4 was the best on the Western Front because I do like some of the Russian stuff. Now, when I start talking, I got a mail, and it wasn't really a hate mail. It was like, hey, it sounds like that you're, you know, you don't like the German tanks. And I'm like, no, I love the Tiger tank. You know, I love the Jag Tiger. It's just, unfortunately, they had some big problems. That's one of the things that we want to address is, you know, yes, we enjoy these tanks, but in reality, they had some, some severe problems. Now, we were talking about, you know, the M4 is still in use. We're talking about the Super Sherman. If you don't know, don't know the Israelis and the French worked out a uh, actually a Super Sherman. And we'll try to, you know, get into that in a second episode. This is actually going to be a two-parter, I think. I think we'll take uh, M4-1 and then we're going to do a little break and wait for everybody to listen to it to write us back and throw us some hate mail so I can answer. And if somebody's like, Hey, I have a question about this M4. There's a ton of variants. Yes. Yes, there are. But like we were saying, uh, they're still the M4 in use today. Uh, in fact, uh, I think it was Peru that just put a couple back into, uh, operating. Yeah. I remember reading about that. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, some are super Shermans, Yeah, but still a Sherman. Um, one of my favorite stories about uh, the Sherman being used in a war uh, was uh, when we went down to Fort Benning and talked to Rob. And Rob had explained, uh, we were walking through, and uh, we saw this old destroyed Sherman. And I said, wow. I said, where did you get this one? And he goes, well, this one's got a pretty interesting story. And I'm like, okay, I got time, tell me. He says, well... The way it's destroyed, like now, it got hit by a Stinger missile, and I'm like, uh, "Was it target practice?" And he goes, "No, we got it in Desert Storm." And I'm like, "What do you mean you got it, in Desert Storm?" Apparently, this was a lend-lease tank that we gave to Russia. Then it was captured by the Germans, and then the Americans caught it, captured it again, and we gave it to the Italians. Then the Italians gave it to the Iranians. And then the Iranians uh, had it in their war against Iraq, and the Iraqis captured it and turned it <laughs> into a battle against the Americans. And wow. one of our uh, flying uh, military vehicles shot a stinger at it, shot it right through the engine and killed it. <laughs> and they finally said, you know what, uh, bring that back home. Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's been around a few places there. <laughs> Well, that is a that's a tough tank. So anybody that says, "Hey, the Sherman was kind of junk," I'm like, uh, "It took a stinger to kill this one." <laughs> yeah. You know, sixty years later. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Well, not sixty, but um, let's talk about some of the myths of the Shermans. I know Russ has got a bunch of questions for me. Um, and people, when you saying, oh, wait, wait a minute, where are you getting your facts? I've researched a bunch of this. Um, uh, we've talked to uh, Rob down in the curator for the Fort Benning uh, armored 
Um, and if you guys really want in-depth information, I got to give uh, props to the guy who actually set me straight. I thought the M4 was kind of a junk tank too. You know, we see in the movies, oh, it catches fire and it just blows up and then they shoot right through it and it was crap. One of the guys who helped me understand more is one of the researchers from our digital game, uh, World of Tanks. Uh, his name is Nicholas Moran. He's also uh, named the Chieftain. If you get a chance, he's got a uh, his own YouTube cha- channel. It's the Chieftain, and he actually did a episode uh, American Armor Myths. And uh, you know, I never believe anybody. I go and research it, and the guy's right. He got all his information from you know the archives and. That this is how it was. Have you seen that episode? I, I believe I have. Yeah, yeah. I watched that the other day, and that's really interesting. All right, Russ. I know you got some questions for me, so let's shoot. Well, Charlie, wasn't it true American tanks were not designed to fight other tanks? This has been brought up quite a bit, and uh, it's simply not true. And when the evidence is examined, you, you'll see that U.S. forces did quite well in a study of 87 tank engagements uh, involving the 3rd and the 4th Armored Divisions. U.S. actually destroyed more enemy tanks and equipment than they lost. And in these engagements, they were quite often fighting Panthers and uh, Panzer IVs. In the first three examples in the study, which involved uh, a total of uh, 27 engagements, a total of 100 and 55 M4s faced off against 114 Panthers. They actually, the U.S. actually only lost 10 M4s, while the Germans lost 70 Panthers. Wow. You know, and, and these are archived actual battles. Yeah. And, and out of all these engagements, we lost, you know, 10 M4s. That's, in, that's incredible. And, that's against an incredible figure. 70 Panthers. So that kind of says, well, it wasn't made to kill tanks. Yeah, it was. That's a short answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I see where you're coming from there, yeah. Well, wasn't the Sherman a matchstick and catch fire like the Ronson lighter ad lights every time? Here's the thing on the Ronson ad. That ad was actually in the 50s. And how that happened, it must have been that... You know, after the war, people would talk, and a lot of people were bad-mouthing the Sherman. They're like, oh, it's just like the Ronson would light every time. But they weren't actually saying that when they had the tank. You know, that was an advertisement. They didn't even start till the 50s. I see. Now, did the Sherman catch fire? Absolutely, when it first came out. But as with everything in America, we modify and make it better and make it better and make it better. Even our Abrams, uh, you were telling us that they're they're upgrading that and yeah, modifying it I now. Read that the other day where they're modifying it, yeah. You know, and there's people out there that will tell you the M4 or the Abrams is just a terrible tank. And I'm like, if you look at it, you know, statistically instead of tactically. And that's where a lot of people are having problems. Most people look at things tactically. And you want to look at the big picture and statistically, you know, everybody says, oh, well, the Panther was way better than the Sherman. Well, I can pull the 
battle reports like I just did, and we lost 10 tanks, and the Panthers lost 70. And they're like, well, uh, that's because the Germans were using, you know, old men and children to run these tanks. And, and I'm not going to debate that. But you got to remember, some, some of our M4 crews, you know, these guys were getting thrown straight in. I know the movie The Fury is just a terrible example. You know, they just grabbed some random kid out of infantry and said, hey, you know, you're, you're our gunner. Wow. And, and that really did happen. Oh, yeah. You know, they yeah. were you know, they were trying to put people in. In Russia, uh, me and Russ, uh, Russ is actually a better uh, uh, expert on Russian lend-lease than I am, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, yeah, I agree. That will probably make a whole episode in itself, to be honest with you. Even in Russia, we learned there's a terminology called a horseless tanker. And what a horseless, it means that they were trained to be tankers, but they didn't have tanks. Didn't have enough tanks to outfit yeah. them all, yeah. And that's why, you know, the British and, and uh, U.S. were sending them tanks, and they, as soon as they'd get them, they'd uh, load them up and head out. People say, well, it, the Sherman was catching fire because of the gasoline. No, what the main problem was, it was the ammunition. The ammunition wasn't in wet racks. So we modified that. And when we did that, the tank would only catch fire 5 to 10% of the time. And I know people are going to go, no, 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 that's wrong, that's wrong. Uh, don't take our word for it. Go to the archives, research yourself. Yes. You'll find out yes. that wet racks really reduced it that massive. Wow. In fact, um, people are saying, well, they had the ammo storage you know, in a bad spot. I'm like, well, it's the same spot that the Panther had its ammo and the Tiger had its ammo on the side. That's true, yeah. Did it catch fire in the beginning? Yeah, because we, we weren't ready in the beginning, you know. Everybody always says, well, you know, the Germans have the Tiger and the King Tiger and all this. I remember we had, well, you did the episode on the M2, right? Yes, uh-huh. And then from the M2, we went to the M3. And we knew what worked on the M3. We knew well, sure, the, the yeah. 75 yeah. was killing tanks. You know, we and they came up with the M4. You know, everybody says, well, why were there so, so many M3s? Uh, I think we said there were 6,500 M3s because the Russians and the British needed those tanks. Exactly. You know. And that kind of goes back to your, yeah, the Lend-Lease program. And, and Americans weren't the only ones using most of the tanks we were producing in America. So when America did go to war, it was usually, you know, we were taking the best stuff. People are like, oh, what are you talking about? Well, uh, look at the M1 Grand Rifle. Uh, Russ, do you know any rifle better than the, the Grand, the old M1? Not right off the top of my head, I don't know. It's and still up there, yeah. It's still a high-quality gun. Uh, if you've never had a chance to shoot one, <laughs> get, get ready for a kick. Yeah. But yeah, in the beginning, it did have uh, flame problems. It wasn't because of the gas, gasoline. It was because of the ammunition. And when they installed wet racks, it did change. It, did, it, it wasn't burning as much. Yeah, I remember listening to Rob Kogan's story there on there, Fort Benning, about the when they added the wet racks. And I, that was... That opened my eyes, and I, I understand a lot more on on why that 
actually cut down worked. I mean, yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Even the reports on the German, uh, like the Panther for or Panzer four, the Panzer four caught fire eighty percent of the time. That's an incredible, yeah, that's an incredible amount there. When, when the Germans were waiting on the Panthers to go into Kursk, you know, for the Battle of Kursk, they were actually held up waiting for these Panthers. And like eight of them caught fire just going there. Oh, man. Not even getting shot at. Man. <laughs> you know what? The M4 did not catch fire driving down just the road. driving down the road, yeah. So what other questions you got? This is actually a pretty good one. Why is the Sherman M4 tank the way it is? Well, you know, everybody says, well, we could have made all these different, you know, bigger tanks. Uh, you know, uh, we the M6 was a heavy tank that they were working on and it was a 60 ton tank and when you think about the united states getting into a fight what's two of the biggest problems that we have going to war rust you know well i'm gonna say transportation probably is gonna be up there believe it or not the two toughest things that the united states when it goes to war is the two oceans the pacific and the Atlantic, you have to think, okay, we have to ship everything. Exactly. We got to ship rifles, medical supplies, ammunition, uh, just everything. Yeah. And the tanks and the gasoline. We have to ship all that. It's all got to go over overseas. So when they come up with this, they have to, you know, contact the railroads and say, well, how much weight can your flat cars carry? You know, uh, what are the rail bridges going to be like? Um, when you get the tanks to the, uh, the shipping yard, how much is the Liberty ship uh, cranes, you know, able to lift? You know, is it going to lift a 60-ton tank? Yeah. And, I mean, it, it's all in the logistics. I mean, all that's got to be planned out. You know, and when you do get into, you know, let's say Tripoli or, or North Africa, what kind of unloading gear do they have? What kind of how how much weight can their docks put? Do know? they even have any gear? Are you going to have to take the the gear the with gear you? with you? Yeah, these are things that these guys have to plan out. And what a tremendous workload! Can you imagine having to come up with all the things? You know, like we were saying, you know, even the oil and lubricants, and believe it or not, even the food. You know, the cooking utensils and, and very true and shipping all that over there. And it's it just tremendous just to get one tank over. And do you want to ship one 60 ton, 60 ton heavy tank or do you want to ship two 30 ton tanks and, and get them there quicker? So, yeah, it's a good way to look at it. And, you know, the Americans, they like easy something that's easy to work on, easy to maintain, and that we have the capability of using parts from one tank to another. I think we've talked about this before, that you couldn't take the Panther wheels and put them on a Tiger. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we've we've talked about that before, yeah. They were actually using, like, the uh, M3 Lee's uh, suspension, um, we knew this. We had the 75 guns. We were making those. If you look at how the M4 is, the very front, the bolts, you undo those bolts, you can pull out the transmission pretty easy and 
put another one in. Yeah. You got to remember, these transmissions burn out on these tanks a lot. Oh, I could just imagine, yeah. Yeah, the Panzer IV, you literally had to take off the turret and take out the passenger or the gunner and the driver's seats. Holy cow. To get the engine out. (laughs) Can you imagine trying to drop an engine out in the middle of a field? You'd have to send it back to the factory. You would, yeah. You would have to take it to the back lines to, yeah. And there's all sorts of memoirs and stuff where our tanks would get hit or damaged and we'd send them right back. And our crews would put in a new transmission, uh, fill the hole, redo the wiring, and boom, it's back out on the street. Ready to go. So that's kind of why the Sherman is the way it is. It was reliable, it had tons of parts, and they knew they couldn't ship it back to get it fixed at the factory. They had to have it where they could fix it right then and there. Okay, the next question to you, Charlie, is why the 75mm gun and not the 17-pounder gun that the UK put on the Firefly? We actually had some tanks with the 17-pounder on it. People are like, oh, we had to get a bigger bigger gun, bigger gun. you got to remember, the theater theater commanders didn't want a bigger gun they were pretty happy with the 75 they were killing tanks in africa and italy the americans did have the 17 pounder and when they did test they found out our 76 millimeter was better so it wasn't american pride thing or we're not going to use a british 17 pounder it it was great except when they put the 17 pounder in they had to turn it on its side and it was cramped as crazy in that poor little turret. And these guys are, you know, having to move and load and kind of shuffle around in this tight turret. And we basically came up with the 76. Uh, they did an accuracy test at distance, uh, you know, maximum range and stuff. The 17-pounder was losing accuracy. And the 76 was dead on. So that's why we use the 76. It's just, oh boy, this is going to get us some hate mail. The 76 <laughs> was a little bit better than the 17-pounder. People say, well, uh, what are you talking about? You know, the 76 was junk. And I'm like, do you like the Hellcat? And they're like, oh, yeah, we love the Hellcat. Yeah. The Hellcat had the 76 millimeter. What was the Hobart's funnies? Uh, Hobart's funnies is just, uh, just the variants of the M4 that, People thought were kind of like funny. I hope we get some uh, for this episode. We get to put some of the funny pictures. Yeah, uh, the Sherman neat. had a mine. Uh, they actually had a mine finding Sherman, which was just like a rolling barrel on the front with these ball and chains. <laughs> and when the tank would roll, these ball and chains would smack the ground <laughs> and get these get these mines to blow up. So okay. The place has got landmines, and the infantry's up there like, hey, man, we ain't got time to cut through there. We, you got to make us a path. And the guy's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a big barrel, and we're going to put a, a bunch of chains and balls on them, and then we're going to roll it across the ground and wait for it to blow up. <laughs> okay, uh, all right. But did it work? Yeah, it worked. Um, the Sherman Bridge Layer, people are like, well, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. This, we actually had bridge-laying Shermans that were out there laying bridges, and they're like, 
oh, that's funny. You know, <laughs> here comes a Sherman Dent. It's got a bridge on top of its roof, and it's like, okay, laying that down. And if you look at the uh, pictures of the Normandy invasion, um, uh, it looks like a little boat. And it was just like a canvas, and they made these uh, Shermans. They put propellers on them, and people are like, oh, you're crazy. That never happened. Yes, it really did. We've got pictures that had propellers, and they'd pull up this canvas and make a little raft out of this Sherman, and they'd just drive. Man. They'd unload it and drive this little boat Sherman up to the uh, beach and then you know, awesome. get in, the, get in is, the fight. That's awesome. So there's a ton of these Shermans. There was even like a flamethrower Sherman. Uh, what was that called? Was it called Crocodile? Or Zippo. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. The American the, version, I believe, was the Zippo. That's right, because the uh, Churchill that yeah. we did the episode on yeah. was the crocodile. Now, don't get me wrong. I think I did read somewhere where the UK called their version of the Sherman flamethrower the crocodile also. So maybe that, yeah, that's probably where that came from. Right. Um, but we were talking about the bridge layer. They actually called the bridge layer a, uh, a pl- the Plymouth. Uh, they were like, hey, bring a Plymouth out there, and it was just a Sherman tank with a Bailey bridge on it. Um, and they also used uh, some of the M4s for armored recovery vehicles. Um, you know, some of these uh, vehicles, trucks, and Jeeps, or even other tanks that were, you know, damaged out in the battlefield and still a little hot, they'd go out there and hook these things up, take them back, and of course, fix them up. Fix them up, bring them back in, and wow. So, what you're telling me, the Sherman was a pretty big workhorse. I mean, it just didn't go out and be a tank. Well, that's true. But the, I think the thing that we're trying to point is it, it was used to fill the roles that it was needed yes. to fill. Okay, the next question to you, Charlie. Would a round from a Sherman really go through the front of a Tiger tank? Uh, I get all of this, you know, people are like, oh, the tiger, you know, we, there's tons of stories, you know, and there's tons of documentaries where the tiger, you know, getting shot at, would just bounce and bounce and bounce. We all know that the tiger had four inches of steel armor on the front, you know, four inches is pretty thick. Oh yeah, it is. But again, uh, we'll get into the armor part of the Sherman, but the 76 millimeter, when it was fire, firing the high-velocity armor-piercing, um, it's called a HVAP round. Uh, when that became available in August of 1944 for the 76 millimeter gun, the projectile contained a tungsten penetrator surrounded by a lightweight aluminum body and a ballistic windshield, which gave it a higher velocity and more penetrating power. Uh, the increased penetration of the HVAP round uh, allowed the 76 gun to match the Panthers' uh, 7.5 centimeter uh, KWK42 APCR shot. However, its performance was heavily degraded by sloped armor, which such as the Panther Glacius and stuff like that. But the Tiger had a flat, you know, fr- armor front. So these, you know, 76 tungsten rounds would go through a Tiger no problem. The problem, there, there was a shortage of HVAP rounds. There was a shortage of tungsten because we were using our tungsten supplies for tools and other, you know, stuff that the military needed. That makes sense, yeah. 
the HVAP rounds were constantly in short supply. Priority was given to the U.S. tank destroyers, uh, and over half of the 18,000 projectiles received were not compatible with the uh, 76 uh, millimeter gun uh, being fitted for the Shermans. Uh, they were actually uh, using the 76 uh, M1 that was fitted for like the M10 tank destroyers. But, you know, most Shermans carried a few rounds uh, for some of these threats, like, you know, when they came out. You know, people say only a 76 would kill a tiger. Uh, like I keep telling everybody, if you look at the engagements in North Africa, in Italy, in Sicily, we were killing these panthers and tigers, but we were also killing with the 75 millimeter. Everybody's like, well, 75 won't go through a tiger. We had a white phosphorus shell. A lot of people don't like talking about this because the white phosphorus was not supposed to be used for to anti-tank round, I guess. Uh, the shell was originally intended to use as an artillery marker to help with targeting, uh, you know, the, the M4 would, you know, shoot this white phosphorus where they wanted the artillery to, you know, shoot. Well, the M4 crews discovered that the shell could also be used against the Tigers and Panthers. Uh, when the burning white phosphorus adhered to German tanks, their uh, excellent optics would be blinded, the smoke uh would get sucked inside the vehicle the vents that were you know that used to cool white phosphorus smoke is kind of dangerous probably pretty toxic yeah pretty toxic and it made it uh, difficult or impossible for the crews to breathe this and the fair uh, fear of the fire starting because remember these tigers and panthers and even the panzer fours were catching fire all the time so here you, you get hit with like the derp gun 105 or the 75 and you're hit with a white phosphorus and it's burning and it's smoking and it's getting sucked inside the vehicle and you can't see to shoot basically burning your tank up all around there and you can't breathe this would cause the crew to abandon the tank uh there are several recorded instances where white phosphorus shells defeated german tanks in this fashion man that is just that's crazy i mean that's I mean, it's interesting. I've, I've never come across that information before, but yeah, that is... When you start looking at, you know, the archives, talking to the guys that really knew the Sherman, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, we saw Panther and we had the 75 or the 105. We loaded a white phosphorus and shot that thing and it would just... All of a sudden, the crews would be bailing out. And I'm like, I don't know. If my tank was shot with white phosphorus and the sucker was on fire, I, it would get my attention. Yep. It really would. Yep. Time to bail. You're darn right. Charlie, the Sherman didn't have armor, did it? You know, here we go again. The, the perfect example is the Tiger had four inches armor, like we said. At first, they had the sloping, the M4 was, you know, sloped a little bit, but everybody's like, no, they would shoot through the front of it. Well, we did up armor. You know, again, uh, we modified in the field. You know, we're adding extra armor and stuff like that, uh, like your jumbo tanks and your Easy 8s later. They basically put on four inches of hull armor. People are like, no, 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 it only had three inches. Well, it was sloped, and when it's a sloped armor... It, it gives you extra armor rating, I guess. Yeah. And, and basically, the jumbo had about four inches of armor, which is the same as the Tiger tank. So if you say, you know, the Sherman didn't have armor, 
You're saying the tiger didn't. One of Russia, Russia's tank or Soviet Union's tank aces, Dmitry. You're going to talk about this later. Yeah. He was talking about how he'd get hit several times, and you know it would just bounce. You know, make big gouges and stuff. But they were walking away from these after getting shot. So the jumbo did have armor. You know, it had the same armor as a tiger. Yeah. And when they got the T20 turrets, uh, they had three and a half inches of spaced armor on the mantle. So, yeah, yeah, the Sherman did have armor. And I I found it interesting, kind of one of the things I took away from Fort Benning, since they had so many variants of the Sherman down there, I may actually put some audio. I took some audio from that little deal down there at Fort Benning. We really need From Rob Kogan, yeah, the curator down there. But anyway, what I was getting at, it with so many variants, I mean, they were putting armor in so many different places. I mean, I think they called it a, a pleak armor or whatever. A pleak, yeah. Yeah, where they were, I mean, one of the biggest things was, you know, they were getting, they were getting ammo. Or, I don't know, in the game, I guess we would call it ammo racked. But being shot in the side where they stored the ammo, would damage I mean, your- yeah, yeah, and it would, and it would, yeah, and out in the field, they yeah. put plates on it. Yeah, they would weld plates to the outside of this to make it thicker. Well, it's like the original M4 uh, versions uh, had sloped armor, but they noticed where the driver and the front gunner's yeah. uh, hatches were. Yeah, I remember they seeing were, that in a variant, yeah. They were weak. Yeah. And believe it or not, uh, in, I think it was when we finally invaded uh, Sicily, they actually started welding uh more armor on those uh those yeah. particular variants yeah. of the sherman so they wouldn't be weak yeah so then they they basically welded on that oblique armor you were mm-hmm. talking about yeah to take away the weak spots so it up armored them so they were constantly beefing up the armor i mean right once they found the the weak spots you gotta remember by the time the uh, sherman got to the korean war th- that's a pretty solid tank oh you're right it, it, it and, was and yeah. even after that you know the israelis and the french they up armored to the super sherman and we'll talk about that because that thing was ridiculous yeah if we had had that oh, at the beginning of wow that, i know that thing would shoot through anything i know we we needed the super sherman beginning in north africa <laughs> i guess my next question is the sherman was a death trap and not survivable was it I know what you're talking about. You're talking about Belton Cooper's uh, book called The Death Trap. Oh, yeah. If you haven't read this book, it is a very, very good book. And I am not saying against anything against Mr. Cooper. Um, he was a hero. He, he did his job. But if you're not familiar with Mr. Cooper, Mr. Cooper had the unfortunate job of being a repairman for the M4 Sherman. When these tanks were hit and they were killed... You know, or damaged, and people were killed inside him, and they brought him back to the back. He was just a young kid, and he would have to go in and take these bodies out. Sometimes the bodies were, uh, the tank, you know, caught fire. It was just horrible. I mean, again, I can't imagine him having to do that, taking these bodies out, having to clean out the blood, having to whitewash the inside, you know, rewire everything fill the hole, and send it back out. And to see it come back later with more dead kids, you know, more dead Americans. 
And that's a terrible, horrible thing. And I'm not trying to say anything against us. That is his view. That, that, that's what he saw. You know, he didn't see what we were killing. He, he didn't see, you know, that we lost 10 tanks. Yeah. And he saw the 10 tanks that were lost and these kids that were killed. And that got into his head. I see. But he didn't see the 114 Panthers that we left out there smoking in a pile of, you know, rubble. Yeah, true. So I will never say anything against Belton Cooper. The man was a hero. He did his job, and he saw the worst part of the war. As far as survivability, I'm telling people, go research this. Don't take our words for it. You know, do your own archives. Please, yes. Yeah, don't get it off Wikipedia. Don't get it off, you know, some 1972 documentary. You know, research yourself. But I'm telling you, American tanker loss. We lost three percent of our tankers people are like oh no 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 you're crazy no 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 i'm telling you when we started out of 100 percent of our tankers we lost three percent there uh we talked about nicholas moran he's got uh, a series of videos called oh dang uh, or oh bugger the tank's on fire and he talked about how easy it is to get out of the sherman later on the uh the sherman turret had two hatches but when it was hit and they said abandon the tank, they could get out really quick. There was a, there was a floor uh, emergency hatch that they could get out if there was damage to, you know, the turrets uh, or the hatches. Later, the hatches were modified with springs, so they were easier to pop out. Basically, you, all you had to do was stand up and jump out of the Sherman. It was a pretty easy tank to get out. And, you know, it, it was armored. And it was fast. It was a good tank, and it was survivable. Once we got the wet ammo racks and wasn't catching fire as much, it would still get hit, and you you want want to bail. They could just go out right through the top. There was only one hatch on the turret in the beginning, and they were like, "Hey, uh, our our loader would like I to get out too. I think we need an extra hatch there, yeah." So they finally figured out to cut another hatch and put springs on it. And like I said, if you look at the archives and you look at the battle reports, 3%, and I mean it, 3% of American tankers were lost, killed in action from, you know, getting the tank destroyed. There are tons of stories where the tank was hit and everybody bailed out. I mean, there's tons of documentaries like, oh, our Sherman, you know, it'd go right through and we'd have to bail out. Yeah, you're alive. Yeah, they got out. Yeah. Exactly. There's a ton of German tanks, and even our Soviet allies, they couldn't get out of the tanks. Try to get out of the T-34. I, yeah, I was reading about some of those where it was almost like a puzzle to, to get yourself in and out of those things. Well, yeah, Rubik's Cube came from the Soviet <laughs> Union, so, <laughs> so they had to make it a little puzzle to get out. Uh, that's just some of the questions I, we we. we been asked russell would you please cover some of the basics and the stats of the tank yeah i sure will the m4 sherman evolved from the m3 medium tank um, which had its main armament in a side sponson mount the m4 retained much of the previous mechanical design from the m3 medium tank but put the main 75 millimeter gun in a fully traversing turret one feature, a one-axis gyro stabilizer, was not precise enough to allow firing when moving, but did help keep the reticle on the target. 
so that when the tank actually did stop to fire, the gun would be aimed in roughly the right direction. Nice. Yeah, that would be. The designer stressed mechanical reliability, ease of production and maintenance, durability, standardization of parts and ammunition in a limited number of variants, and moderate size and weight. Right. Kind of like what we just covered. Yeah, yeah. With able to transport these tanks overseas. These factors combined with the Sherman's then superior armor and armament outclassed German light and medium tanks fielded in 1939 to about 1942. Uh, The M4 went on to be produced in large numbers. It spearheaded many offensives by the Western Allies after 1942. One of the stories that I, when I was researching everything, was our utter failure when we first got into the war in uh, West Africa. We were actually, if you look at the battle, we charged 88 millimeter tanks that were hide behind cactuses and that they were in a standard charge cavalry charge in an open plain against these 88s and they got destroyed because the the commanders at that time didn't know how to use these tanks so they're like hey these you know importers at the beginning of the war were getting killed left and right yeah, they were charging 88s. <laughs> okay, there's nothing that can stand against an 88. No, uh-uh. You know, uh, even the King Tiger, Jag Tigers, one of those would pretty much kill it. That would, yeah. The designer of the M4 Sherman was the U.S. Army Ordnance Department. It was designed in 1940 and manufactured by several different companies. Oh, it, there's so many Oh, companies. I know. Uh, Ford did it. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Pullman did They're it. Almost every locomotive or train locomotive company, I mean, was involved in making these things. Anywhere from the Baldwin Locomotive Works to the Pullman Standard Car Company. Now, we were talking about why, why the M4, what, the way it was, or why it is the way it is. Um, one of the other things is people forget the Depression we were just starting to come out of it and money was tight. How much did one of these M4s cost? The unit cost was about $44,556 all the way up to about $64,455. And that was in 1945 dollars. So anywhere from about 45000 to $65,000 a piece. Um, I wish I could buy a oh, Sherman for 44000 Today, I think I could probably come up with that kind of money. Just I'm hoping, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but yeah, that also depended kind of upon the the variant of you know the cost. That's why the big range like that in 2017 dollars, you're talking probably about six hundred ten thousand to eight hundred seventy thousand dollars a piece. Wow. So yeah, yeah let's it, buy it at the forty five exactly. Price. <laughs> yeah, they were produced. The prototype Sherman M4 was produced in September of 1941. Sherman tanks were produced between about February 1942 to July 1945. Wow. Now, I know a lot of people want the specifications, but let's just go with the base beginning. Basics. Because there's so many variants. Oh, I know, yes. We, we, we would have to spend three episodes just oh, talking um, about the variants. Yes, yeah. So to give us the basic cut down specifications for the M4. M4 Shermans weighed about uh, anywhere between 33 and 42 tons. They were anywhere from 19 foot to 20 foot long. 
about eight foot seven inches wide to clear up to almost 10 foot wide in some of the variants and it was about nine foot high to about nine foot ten inches high but it still come in under the <laughs> yeah the height of the lee you know i love the lee I ten may, foot tall I, and bulletproof I, I think the lee may be the tallest tank we've ever produced i think so uh the m4 sherman had a crew of five it had a commander a gunner a loader a driver and an assistant driver slash bow gunner so he had a couple different jobs there gotcha the main armament of the M4 Sherman was the 75 millimeter gun M3 carried anywhere from about 90 to 104 rounds of that particular armament. Or the M4 Sherman had a 76 millimeter gun. How many rounds did that about have? About 71 rounds is what they carried there. Now we're going to talk about the derp round. Oh gun. yeah. What, what is the, the the actual derp size? The derp size is a 105 millimeter howitzer gun. And they they carried. About 66 rounds. And when they found out those white phosphorus rounds <laughs> were working pretty well, I bet they packed a few I more of those. I bet they probably did, yes. <laughs> yes. What's the secondary armament on those things? Uh, secondary armament on the M4 Shermans. They had a 50 caliber Browning M2HB machine gun. And on average, they'd carry about three to 600 rounds of that oh, with 50, them. 50 cal rounds. Ah, yeah. And once again, you know, anti-aircraft, that kind of stuff, too. That'd definitely knock an airplane out of there. Yeah, it would, big time. It had uh, two 30 caliber Browning M1919A4 machine guns, and about 6,000, 7,000 rounds of that's what they would carry. Oh, for the Browning 30 cals? Yeah. Wow. For both of those. The M4 Sherman had a Spicer manual synchromesh transmission, um, had five forward gears and one reverse gear on that that's better than the frank french tanks that have one forward gear and Ah, five reverse yes i'm kidding oh no (laughs) nope nope i'm giving you out his personal email address right now folks no no offense to our french i'm sorry sorry couldn't resist oh we're gonna get a (laughs) but what kind of suspension it had a vertical uh volute spring suspension system or a horizontal Volute spring suspension system. So it had a couple different versions. Yeah, I think the mo- the one I liked the most was the HVSS. I think that the horizontal they, volute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What kind of fuel are we talking about? Yeah, the M4 Shermans had a fuel capacity of anywhere between 138 to 175 U.S. gallons, um, and that also depends on the variance. On the variance, yeah. So what's the operational range of one of those things when it's got a full tank of gas? The M4 Shermans could uh, operate out to about 100 to 150 miles on one tank of gas. And that depends on the variance, too. And the road. And the road conditions, what they were operating on, yes. Um, I'm not trying to start any trouble, but your cat is trying to play with your Oh, she's... Um, (sighs) She she does like to use her front claw or front paws... And she thinks she's massaging you. Yeah. You know, yeah. She's, she's not. No. I, I don't know how to explain it, but yeah. Yeah. She's kind of a strange one. Light, lightning is definitely lightning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lightning's a handful. That's all we're going to say. Oh, I know. We almost are in about an, an hour. And I I'm, I hate to say it, but we're going to have to make two episodes of this M4. What do you I, think? I, I think so. I mean, we've we still got quite a bit more to talk about. We mm. still have the battles and, and everything. And uh, 
we got to talk about how, you know, every tanker thought, you know, or every infantry uh, saw a German tank, thought it was a Tiger. Um, Russ, you want to hear something fun? How many actual Sherman versus Tiger fights were there? I don't know. How many? Would you believe if I said only three? Only three. <laughs> wow. All right. We'll have to talk about that oh, in the next episode because yeah. people are going to be like, no, no, there was tigers all over and they were just crawling all over. I'm like. To be continued, folks. Yeah. This is leaving us on the edge of our seats here, guys. Well, I'll give you a reason to tune in. And like I said, we are on all the major uh, podcast stuff now. iPod, Podbean, Spotify, even Facebook. But one one things that we want to push is the YouTube. And if you guys want to listen to us on YouTube, you just type in two tankers and a cat and we pop right up. Or if you got Google home, you just go, Hey Google play two tankers and a cat podcast. It will actually kick on. I did it at my oh, house. the other day. Oh man. That's awesome. <laughs> that is, that's great. So we're getting out there. Oh, we are now. Now we still have our donate button to anybody wanting to send us some money to help out with operational yes. costs. Please check out our website, www.twotankersandcat.com. Uh, we a lot have, of good information there. And throw us some likes on Facebook and stuff like yes, that. Yes. Yes. Help us get our name out there still. And we're still growing. Um, to be honest with you here within the last couple of days of us recording this actual episode of the podcast we've reached a thousand downloads believe it or not on no way on podbean yes and we've only got what basically 10 episodes actually out yeah that's amazing yeah it's incredible and it's thanks to you guys tuning in we really appreciate it yes we do um it's only going to get better folks uh we actually have some interviews coming up with some really uh big names in the tank world uh, we actually have a Twitch streamer that has agreed to come out and, you know, uh, give us some interviews. We actually got some old tankers uh, that want to talk to us. Uh, yes. Uh, we got an actual Sherman tanker from the Korean War, and he'll tell you about his battles against the T-3485 and how he smoked them. Oh, man. So, so yeah. You'll have to tune in, people. Yes, exactly. This is only going to get bigger and better as we go. We're still learning as we go, and... All right, well... I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm going to go ahead and close episode 12. Uh, We appreciate you uh, tuning in. This is Charlie signing out. And this is Russell. Happy tanking. And as always, take care.